0: Thank you, Kate, very much. Keep that open. We'll look at that tonight as we launch this new series. Uh, Everybody welcome. And tonight's theme of the Gospel-Shaped Church. Let's pray, though, as we open that together, that God, by his Spirit, may help us to hear and understand and respond. Father, we thank you for uh, the Gospel of Christ. We thank you, as we've just sung, of uh, his great high priestly sacrifice of himself made for us and for bringing us near through that sacrifice, that we might uh, be safe in Christ. And we pray that um, that good news, gospel as we call it, may uh, inspire our hearts afresh tonight, but may also shape our church as a body um, in the gospel of Christ, and a body which um, reflects and shares that good news ourselves, and which welcomes and receives those whom you are adding to our number. In Jesus' name, amen. So, how was it coming to church this evening? I don't know if you left in a hurry um, or allowed plenty of time to get here, or if you came by car. Did you have any trouble parking, maybe, for this evening's service? Uh, Or maybe as you 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 came in, if you're here for the first time, um, did you find the front door easily? Were the signs helpful for you? Or had you seen our website before you came? And was that kind of gripping? And you thought, I've I've got to try that church. Or did it put you off a bit? Uh, And once you're here and you came in, did you have a good welcome, a a friendly smile, a hello from someone as you came in the door? Did the people you sat next to seem friendly? Um, Did you pick up the the service sheet and think, oh, either, um, gosh, this is really helpful to see what's coming up, or, oh, this is very word-heavy, where are all the pictures? And uh, as you sat and looked around, perhaps in an idle moment, if that ever happens in a church service, during one of the songs or something, and you looked at the stained-glass windows, and you you either thought, those are really powerful pictures, or you maybe thought, oh, it's a bit traditional for me. Uh, And as the sermon starts, and I think the sermon's now started... Um, you, know, you might be thinking, um, what will this be like? Will it be interesting? Will it be off-putting? Um, will the preacher be someone that's a bit superficial? Um, or someone that maybe just is out of touch with the real world I live in? Or someone that seems to have real integrity? And these are all ways, aren't we, by which we evaluate a church as we come as a new person... But actually, in some ways, we do it almost every time we come. And it's quite a complicated thing, isn't it? Working out what makes what we call a good church, a healthy church. perhaps uh, be a better biblical image. What makes a healthy church? And there are stacks of books written about this kind of thing. And you can read them if you want to. Um, and they have lots of good things in them. You know, people say it's, a, it's about... Um, having a a friendly culture in the church, or it's about having financial planning so that you're kind of secure as a church, or it's about having good families ministry. But actually in the Bible, and and in this passage, those are not by any means the key to being a healthy church, or in our current series, a healthy, welcoming church, to which the Lord adds to our number. The Bible simply says um, that the... Church health, the church growth, comes from the gospel itself. That's what makes, really, a healthy church. Other stuff is nice, but that's the only thing that really matters. Being a gospel-shaped church. So tonight, I've really only got one point. That's good news, isn't it? Just one point. And that was it. If you take nothing else, please try and take that home with you to pray about this week. A healthy church is gospel-shaped. That's what really matters about our church. A healthy church is gospel-shaped. Now, Acts 2, back in our passage, the bit that we had read just now by Kate comes at the end, as you might have spotted, of the day of Pentecost. And if you've been here recent weeks, you'd have seen that the day of Pentecost was a day in which God poured his spirit, Christ poured his spirit upon his people for the first time, giving birth to the church and releasing the church to share the good news, the gospel, as we call it. And Peter uh, preaches this great speech in which he sets out, really, the good news about Jesus. And 3,000 become Christians that day. And our key verse is the last verse, really. Verse 47, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Here is this brand-new gospel-shaped church, um, and... God is adding to the church those that he's saving. It's important, it's that, isn't it? He adds people to his church. He draws people. He gives people faith. Jesus says in John's Gospel, chapter 12, um, that if the Son of Man is lifted up on the cross, he will draw all people to himself. So we don't grow the church. We don't add, I cannot add a single person to the church. I cannot bring a single person to faith. The Lord adds to his church. It's a good reminder that it's the gospel, as it was at Pentecost, it's the message in the power of the Spirit that creates the church, in fact. Some people in tradition have said, down the centuries, oh, the church created the gospel, we made it up, we cobbled it together. No, 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 if you look at the Bible, always it's the word of God, the gospel that creates the people of God, the church. So we're a gospel-shaped church because he made us. The gospel is why we're here. That gospel, the good news that Jesus redeems us and purifies us to be the bride of Christ, that's the great picture of the church in the New Testament, showing the world his wisdom by bringing together unlike people as one in his body. The gospel-shaped church. And so you say, well, well, how do we know if we're a gospel-shaped church? You see, that's, that's the problem, isn't it? Um, okay, you know, the good thing is we have Bibles in Holy Trinity. Uh, and we prize the Bible in Holy Trinity as the word of God. And so in that sense, we've got the gospel here. But is the gospel shaping us? How do we know that? Because the trouble with the gospel is, it's a message, isn't it? It's truth, and that's precious and critical, but you can't see it, can you, in that way? You, know, you can measure a church in lots of ways, but not by kind of, can you kind of see the gospel shaping it? It's rather like you know, if you get a kid's balloon and you rub it on your um, jumper and you hold it over the head of someone who's got you know maybe thin, wispy hair, and the hair kind of goes, Shh, like that, doesn't it? So, what's that called? Static or electromagnetic something? Someone tell me later. So you can see the, impact the effect of of that force can't you the electricity but you can't actually see the force itself that's the gospel you can't see the gospel oh, but you can see its effects you can see how the gospel shapes a church so um, for the rest of what i'm going to say we're going to look at three effects if you like three fruits three, three marks of the gospel in the church Three ways to see what the gospel's doing in us uh, that make us a healthy church. So verse 42 lists a number of things the, the first disciples were doing when they got together. Um, and they were passionate about this. It says that they, they were filled with awe. So there's a real sense of God's presence as they do this. They devote themselves. See, there's, there's four things. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the break of bread, and prayer. Or it's plural, the prayers. And lots of people think that in the rest of the passage, 43 to 46, all Luke does is he kind of unpacks those activities in a little bit more detail. So I'm going to stick with 42 and say there are really three things going on here, three marks, if you like, of a gospel-shaped church. We can't see the gospel because it's a truth, but we can see these things. This will tell us What a gospel-shaped church is like. Here's the first mark of a really healthy gospel-shaped church. A gospel-shaped teaching. Gospel-shaped teaching. They devote themselves, verse 42, to the apostles' teaching. And, of course, the apostles' teaching, Peter's sermon, for instance, just the same day, has brought them to new birth. So it's not surprising that they're devoted to this, that they give their attention to it. Um, That's the kind of idea of devoted They're not listening to other stuff. They want to hear the apostles' teaching, what we would call the New Testament the apostles have written for us. And they know its power. It's brought them to faith, a new life. They know um, the significance of the apostles because, as you see in verse 43, it's through the apostles that, that the Lord is doing signs and wonders, particularly as we've seen before, to authenticate the message of the apostles as follows of the risen Jesus, the eyewitnesses. So gospel-shaped teaching comes from the apostles. They know its power. They've experienced that. Um, but here's what makes teaching gospel-shaped. Well, lots of things, but here's two things. Gospel-shaped teaching is uniquely broad. Uniquely broad. I don't you know, just mean kind of broad overweight, but broad in the sense it's for Everyone. Peter announced back in verse 39 that the promise of forgiveness and a new life is, he says, if you look at verse 39, for you and your children and all who are far off for all whom the Lord our God will call. That's breadth, isn't it? It's for all. The good news of Jesus. It's an offer for everyone that will receive it. And that's unique, isn't it, in human life? Because think of all the messages that you might receive, you know, advertising, marketing emails at you, Uh, invitations to events people will say come and join us if you like classical music or rap music or fine art or if you're in your 20s or you're over 60s it's always directed to a particular group or age or ethnicity or demographic and the gospel is not it's for all near and far young and old, whoever. Are the faith's promise salvation if you're from a particular ethnic group or born in a particular country or have lived a certain way, the gospel, again, is for all. It's uniquely broad and it's uniquely unconditional. Because, again, we're used in our culture, aren't we, to organisations offering us something if we give something in return. So, you you become a member if you pay your fee and promise to kind of abide by our rules. Or if you give us your email address, at least, we can then send you promotional stuff. But the gospel is unconditional. No conditions. No, if you do this, you can join. Absolutely, in that sense, free, at least at the point of receipt. Of course, the Christian gospels, it bears a cost, too. It brings a cost, doesn't it? discipleship, but it's free at the point we receive it. No conditions, and that is absolutely unique, again, in Christian experience, in human experience. Um, so that's just two ways that the gospel is um, shaping our teaching, should shape our teaching. for churches sharing a gospel that is uniquely broad, but also absolutely unconditionally free. That's what we call grace. God's free gift of life in him. So a healthy church is a church with gospel-shaped teaching. I read the other day about a church um, up in the north of England that uh, a couple of years ago was, was, was suffering, decline had been doing for decades from being a, you know, a sizable church hundred or so years ago and there were now like 10 members left and they were wondering what to do and they prayed about it um, and then they took a bold decision to appoint another pastor full time I think for the first time actually that had one. Um, and a small team came with that pastor um, and they made that decision at that point that they weren't going to kind of rely on gimmicks to grow the church. So they weren't going to kind of install fancy lighting systems um, or even fabulous websites and all that kind of thing that many churches will prioritise. They were simply going to teach the gospel in the church and outside the church wherever they could and trust the gospel to grow the church. And two years later, praise God, that church has grown. I think it's now like 200 people joining on a Sunday we need to have confidence don't we that a gospel um, shaped teaching will grow a healthy church because that's what acts is saying this is what a healthy church looks like let's have confidence as our verse for this year puts it in the gospel i'm not ashamed of the gospel it's the power of god for salvation so as we encourage each other to do here on a sunday over coffee Afterwards in conversation let's be using the gospel to grow the church here. Let's be sharing stories of grace, ways that God has spoken to us in the scriptures perhaps this week, a verse that spoke to us of the free grace that God gives us in Christ. Because the gospel grows the church, and a gospel-shaped church will have gospel-shaped teaching. And as you're praying for perhaps friends at school, at uni, at work, who are not yet Christians, I hope you've got your Pray for Five bookmark if you're a regular here already. There are lots of these on the uh, table at the back there. As you pray for those five people, why not, if you're going to see one this week, pray for an opportunity to have that conversation with them about have you ever had someone show you who Jesus really was and what a Christian really is. Not what the world tells you, but what it really is. Could I give you a gospel to read? Because this is the original story about him. A gospel-shaped teaching. Is going to frame our church. So that's the first mark. Um, the second mark is this if, if a gospel shaped church has gospel shaped teaching, we will also have gospel shaped community. Verse 42 again, the word there is fellowship. And uh, you could translate it community um, because it's a word that's not to do with Lord of the Rings. It's got some links with that. Um, fellowship It's not to do with simply sharing over coffee. We talk about a you know, time of fellowship, usually meaning a chat over coffee. Um, but it could include that. It's much, much deeper than that. It's a reminder that when you become a follower of Jesus, you do not simply become a child of God, an isolated believer. You become a member of a community, something bigger than just you. And that oneness, that family sense is there... In verse 44, all the believers were together, or as one. And 46, they continued to meet together. You get this real sense that they're spending almost more time together now than apart. Such as the community energy of this church. Um, and we talk about, say, fellowship as like a social activity... But this is much more sacrificial than that, isn't it? If you look at the verses here. And actually, they're quite challenging, alarming verses, aren't they? Verse 44. They sold their possessions. Sorry, 45. Selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as they had need. 44. They were together, had everything in common. And you think, whoa, you know, this, is, this, is, this is kind of like communism. Um, submit all of your possessions here. Not allowed to own anything now because you're a church member, we'll have it all and we'll just share it round. And you kind of think, Good, goodness me, I've got to dash off to the estate agent, sell my house, and bring the money in next week. Well, in Acts, it's clear that the disciples, the Christians, did retain property. They weren't communists. Um, so you might say, well, this is not therefore saying that they had to give everything, everything they had to other people in the church. But it is saying that they have to be willing to give everything to others in the church if there was need for it. And that's very challenging, isn't it? Depth of community, gospel-shaped community, goes much beyond what we call like friendly conversation, which is easy, isn't it? It goes to family commitment. We use the phrase um, charity begins at home sometimes, and it might mean for us, um, I look after myself first, and if that's how you mean it, then you and I, um, we are using the phrase in a completely unbiblical way. The Bible doesn't teach that. The phrase is not in the Bible, in fact. Now, some people say, well, by that I mean, look after your family first, and if that's what you're saying, well, that's got strong biblical grounds. But the Bible does say, the Old Testament teaches that we should look after um, marriage partners, children parents, widows in the family and so on. We have a responsibility to care for our family. But it seems to be what's happening here in Acts is that the first Christians are realizing that they're not simply members of of an organization, they're now members of a family, a spiritual family, not blood but spirit uniting them. And the responsibility they had to their brothers and sisters and grandparents and so on is now one they have for all the church family. A gospel-shaped community is a spiritual family. And that means that we will share, perhaps materially with each other, but certainly in other sacrificial ways, because we're brothers and sisters. We're not simply children of God, we're brothers and sisters to each other now. And that's profoundly challenging and enriching. I think of someone in our last church, someone called Louis, who joined us um, from a sort of Greek tradition, Greek orthodox background, religious but not Christian, um, and initially just very struck by the fact that we taught the Bible, and we shared the good news, and it was all about the grace and the freedom of Christ, um, but on his journey towards faith, um, he also was very struck by the quality of community, um, so he joined a, like, a men's Bible study we started at one point, and I remember saying, um, this church is different from what I've experienced, I've seen this nowhere else, um, my wife has a baby, the church starts bringing presents around and meals for a week. I've not seen that before. Where else do you see that? And, um, I've, I've been ill. I, he had a heart condition at one point, And you've all been praying for me. And asking and visiting and seeing how I am. I've not seen that before anywhere. And um, he ended up in this group where he, he came to faith in Christ. Um, and we had him and a Nigerian, an Italian, another Greek. And I think there were two or three Brits. And again he said, you know, where else do you see this sort of unity, this togetherness? across our differences than in the church. And that's the power of the gospel to shape a community. To make a kind of a family that you see nowhere else in human life. Across our differences, whoever we are. And that means that it's very powerful when Christians, we we fall out with each other sometimes and we forgive each other and we start praying together again. Or when someone sees a a member of the church lending a car to someone else in the congregation they don't know very well, trusting them with it, paying insurance for them. And to the world around, that's a very powerful message about community that they will not see anywhere else. That is the community of Christ living out the love of Christ and that draws people to the gospel of Christ and think about welcome as we will be doing on Wednesday, for instance. When we think of the gospel of Christ and the way it brings us together as one family, whoever we are as brothers and sisters, that is such a powerful reason, isn't it, to welcome new people with open arms, because that's what the gospel does. Based on the gospel of Christ, the grace of Christ... That in Christ, we are not individuals, we're one family, in one spirit, under the cross. So, gospel-shaped community. Gospel-shaped teaching, and then thirdly, gospel-shaped meetings. The end of 42 says that they were also devoted to the breaking of bread and the prayers, to prayer. And then 46 expands a little bit. Every day it says they continue to meet together in the temple courts... And they broke bread in their homes, eating together with glad or joyful and sincere or or simple-hearted attitudes, simple hearts. So can you see that the, the meetings, the gatherings of these believers are both, if you like, public and private, or formal and informal, aren't they? So there's this thing about in the temple courts, verse 46 which for us is probably that, you know, they were going to the the daily Jewish prayers in the temple, a bit like church for us, I guess, today, nearest analogy. But also, they're meeting in each other's homes from house to house almost, rather like, I suppose, our small groups or those of us that meet up in one-to-ones with people. And in that um, meeting, that gathering, that prayer time, there's a very dynamic prayer life going on. They are certainly what we call interceding. They're praying for the needs of the world, especially, we know from Acts, they're praying for boldness, that they might share the gospel with boldness. We've seen that already in Acts in the last few weeks. So there's, there's what we call intercession. It also says that they're, they're breaking bread. And probably that's a reference, not just to the fact that we're eating together, as believers like to do, but they were remembering the death of Christ as they did it. They're breaking bread, remembering Jesus' words at the Last Supper when he broke the bread and said, this is my body. So they're giving thanks as they meet for the body, for the death of Christ, for the cross. So you see there's the the intercession, but there's also this spirit of thanksgiving. That's where the joy comes from. Thanksgiving for the life and death of Christ. And you can add praise as well. Intercession, thanksgiving, and verse 47 talks about praise. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And often in the Bible you see these three modes of prayer. You see intercession, you know, bringing the the need to get the gospel out to the world. You see thanksgiving for the gift of Christ. And you see praise or adoration of God that fills our hearts with joy. I guess you could add the fourth one of confession too often you obviously see that in the scriptures too. But it's a rich, a very dynamic prayer life as they meet together, isn't it? Gospel shaping their meetings. The gospel that is leading them to thanksgiving and to praise. And to pray that that gospel may continue to reach new people. And that means that, I guess, as we get together, look at verse 47, they enjoy the favour of all the people. It's a great phrase. It seems that the life of this church was not invisible, Um, It was seen by the community around them um, as they met together, both publicly and from house to house. And the people around them saw the quality of gospel-shaped life in them. And they had favor, they had goodwill towards the church. They recognized the power of God among them. And it reminds us as we get together that we should always expect newcomers to be here when we come together on a Sunday. And often at other midweek things as well. Always expect God to be sending new people to add to our number. And our job is just to welcome them. He does the adding, we do the welcoming. But also, it's a reminder that um, you know, perhaps as we pray for our friends or family, and we pray, we might maybe invite them to something coming up. We've got like an all age service a few weeks' time, maybe for a family to come to, um, or a carol service near Christmas, or a Discover course. But you think, oh yeah, but um, I don't know if the music's going to be right for them that week, or I don't know if you know, it's Richard preaching, I don't know if I can trust what he's going to say that week. Or I don't know if the the church, maybe the welcomers will be off that day, and no one will speak to them, and they'll hate it. And I think this is saying to us, rather than thinking that way, we should think the opposite. We should think the gospel-shaped church is a compelling thing for someone to see. The problem is, if they never come to something, they'll never see it. Let's invite them and trust God to do the rest, that they will see something of the gospel in this community, in our teaching, and in our meetings as we pray and praise together. Let's trust him to do the rest. So what could God do through the power of the gospel amongst us and through us? In these coming weeks and months, if we begin to commit to to living this out, Lord, make us more and more a gospel-shaped church, if we commit to maybe coming to the to course starting this week to say, make us a church that understands and um, is expectant about welcoming new people more than we do already. If we commit to praying, the Lord will add to our number daily. I mean, we, we pray every Sunday God will send new people, and he does. If we commit all to praying that, what could he do? If we commit to inviting people, trusting That, with all of our faults as a church, and we have plenty, the gospel shape that's here will draw people to Christ that He might add them to our number through faith and salvation. Let's be still for a moment, and I'll lead us in a prayer for that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for the gospel that's given um, those of us that are already believers in you new birth. We thank you that uh, the power of the church rests entirely in you and the gospel and the spirit. We pray that you will make us a more healthy and more welcoming church in coming weeks and months. We pray that you will trust us even more, though, that you will help us even more to trust the power of the gospel to add people to us, to save people. In our teaching and also in our meetings and in our community life of sacrifice for each other as a family, we may reflect and reveal that gospel to each other and to the world for whom we pray.